I've been in Genesis, and I've been getting a kick out of reading what people have to say about the flood and other things in there. So, we are going to be starting Genesis 1-1, and we're going to be doing day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light and the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. I've been getting a kick out of reading how the Hebrew would have worded this. And whenever I first started reading it, unfortunately with our English, I was reading it backwards and it made absolutely no sense. And then eventually I started to stare at it a little bit harder and realized that I have to go right to left. And... For the most part, I'm impressed with how literal I was only using the New King James at the time. I did not try and use any other translation. But I was impressed on how literal the New King James was and how inadequate the English language was in translating Hebrew. The first sentence in Hebrew in our English is the exact same. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a very general statement talking about a very specific time. In the beginning, back in the day I walked up to school up and down hills both ways. It's a very general statement, but it is talking about a very specific time. And the heavens, just the sky, just picture darkness. And then the earth. Oddly enough, with the rest of the days, I never really thought of the earth as a dead planet with water on it. And it sort of is an accurate picture of that. The earth was just covered in water. I mean, just land and water. There was nothing on it yet because we hadn't gotten to day two, day three, day four. Um, I've I've never really been to a desert to have that experience, to understand deadness more properly. But even then, there there was water covering it also, so it can only help me so far. And verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Hebrew tries and elaborates on that. It says, Waste, desolate, abyss, they're very powerful words. It's trying to portray the the utter utterness of it. It's bad, bad place, and it's not. Here's a kicker that I'm still trying to learn. Everything God created was good. The earth was created without form and void of life. But nonetheless, 
The darkness was hovering over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I found it curious that there is already a distinction sort of being made about where God is and where He's not. Not going to take that any farther because that goes down some steep roads. But there is an implied distinction that the Spirit of God is hovering over the earth, over the, spe- over the face of the waters, and darkness is over the face of the deep. And in verse 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That implies it's a passive statement to me. Let there be light. That is not how the Hebrew words it. The Hebrew words it as be light and there was light. It's a very active statement. It's it's almost an aggressive statement. It's not a passive let this happen and it happens. Let it be, let it be. It implies that he very much has the power to do it and that he does it. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. In Romans 1, verse 20, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This first verse, unfortunately, condemns a lot of people. If we attribute anything other than creation and the creation powers to something other than God, we have confirmed our unbelief in God's creative powers. It is unfortunate to think that there has always been atheists to an extent. We we see stories on how there are multiple gods in the New Testament and people believe that. But even they believe that there was a God. And now these days... It's foolish to believe that there is a God or multiple gods. There is no God. Even back in the day, the people weren't really as ignorant as we are today. I mean, they, they believed that there was something more powerful than them. In Psalms 148, 1-5, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord from the heavens! Praise Him in the heights! Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. The entire... Psalms 148 is praise Him, praise Him, magnifying His 
majesty, His creation. He's, he's not leaving anything to chance. Everything that the Lord made praises His power, His divine nature. In Isaiah 45, specifically verse 11, is a question. 45 started off by God talking to His to His people and this sort of comes off as a rebuke. And the question is, verse 11, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the One who formed Him, ask Me of things to come. Will You command Me concerning My children and the work of My hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was My hands that stretched out the heavens. I commanded all their hosts. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make his ways level. He shall build my city, set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. He's he's being very blunt. He doesn't want it to come off as if he's a passive God who lets things happen He wants to be coming off as a very powerful God that makes things happen. Specifically referring to the creation aspect. aspect. In Colossians 1.16 and Hebrews 1.2 Revelations 4.11 it speaks to His speaks to how he's how powerful he is. Colossians one sixteen. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In John one one it says that the Word of God was with him in the beginning, and the word, and that the Word of God is God. I'm going to read that later. But in Hebrews, we're talking about Christ. In John, we're still talking about Christ. And in the first five verses of the Bible, specifically verse 3, we have the voice of God. Let there be light. The Word of God. We have in verse 1, God creating the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, we have the breath of God. And in verse 3, we have the Word of God. It's not a terrible read for me to say that because John's already tried to do it and Hebrews definitely nailed it. That we definitely have the Trinity being espoused within the first three verses of the Bible. So if there were ever three verses that condemned man, it would be the first three verses of the Bible. And if there are ever any books in the Bible that condemns man all the more, it's the first three chapters. We have the rise of man, the fall of man, and the hope of man within the first three chapters of Genesis. The Hebrews sang songs to memorize these to memorize the scriptures would have been the first things they ever heard. It would have been certainly one of the first things they ever memorized. 
I mean, they would have learned their habitual things, traits of the father and the mother. But this would have been exactly what the Hebrews would have learned first off. That God created the heavens and the earth. That God said, let there be light. That God's Spirit was hovering over the earth. This wouldn't have escaped them. We unfortunately see the Hebrews acknowledging to the Father and the Holy Ghost. Although they don't like to say it like that, they certainly did. We see the Old Testament having the Holy Ghost coming upon people. It definitely wouldn't have been debated. It just certainly wouldn't have been worded like it is. And it's a shame that they were able to see two and not the third. Hebrews 1-2 In these last days He was spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom He created the world. Revelations 4.11 Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. One of the few things that we should never really have difficulty with as Christians is who created it and who maintains it. And fortunately, we really don't as a general rule. But when you read Genesis and the seven days, you can't help but think of science and think of how people have tried to explain the appearance of age, the stars that are billions of light years away, and since they're billions of light years away, whatever happened, happened billions of years ago in the past. It's hard to not read Genesis without keeping that in the back of your head. Unless you've never heard it, and then you have no, no presuppositions that have to be determined with. A very general and straight reading of this on the, on the first five verses, it's kind of hard to argue certain aspects. Specifically, the very last Sentence. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Now there are a lot of people who will say that day means a length of time. I don't argue that. Day very much is a certain length of time. It's just not billions and billions of years. That's, that's. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Hard to not say the scripture is pretty specific. I mean, yes, the first day. The word is yom, and it is a very general word. One day I'm going to own that car. One day I'm going to own it, buy a house. It's a very general word. It is defined by the sentence. It is defined on how it is used. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. 
Other people will say since the sun wasn't created until the fourth, so it's in... Thank you. Until the fourth, that stating that there was evening and there was morning is poetic. The only problem is, is that we know that God's glory shines. We we really don't need the sun. Um, the the sun is just supposed to remind us on how exactly powerful in God's divine nature. It's it, it tells people the seasons, the harvest. I mean, we see moon signs and stuff like that in the Old Testament, New Testament. Farmers still do it today. But that's not where Genesis is going on day one. Uh, the very first three verses, he's laid out God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God. We see God creating the heavens and the earth. The earth being formless, being dead with water covering it. That's that's not where this is going. It's not trying to push that the it's out of order that since the sun wasn't made yet that it, we have to jump from spot to spot to spot. But I will say that if you want to take that the first day on the last sentence to be a gap. I only ask that you be consistent. Because on the seventh day we see no evening and morning. All I ask is consistency. But I would then have to ignore what it said just before that first day. And that's hard. That's really hard. But this is not foreign. This is not new. It's not since. Darwin came and said evolution. It's not since scientists came and said billions of light years away. The idea that the first first four the idea that the first four days are poetic allegory, not foreign. Um, Origin, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas. And perhaps John Wesley. I, I know I'm just covering all the generations. All of them in some way said that the first four days were poetic. That it didn't actually mean a day, a day, a day. And I I really wanted to say that because I found that interesting in and of itself. Because I don't know how I could read the first five verses and not come to the conclusion that it was a day as we know it. Evening, morning, day. But this is not foreign. We we can't blame this on modern scientists. We can't blame this on one person. This has been said and has been around for a very long time. I'm, I think it dates back to 280, 300, somewhere in there. Now, with that being said, I also wanted to read you the original Hebrew of the first five verses just because I I thought they were cool. In the beginning created God the heavens and the earth, the earth being desolate and waste, and darkness on the face of the abyss. Breath of God hovered over face of waters. God said, Be light and be light. God saw light good... God divided light and dark. 
God called to the light day and to the darkness called night. Was evening, was morning, first day. Whenever I first read this, yes, I thought a foreigner was writing it because you can see the way that the English language would be forced upon someone foreign. They would only have a word and the meaning, but they couldn't have, and God saw that the. They, they wouldn't have the that the part. It would just have the verb and the, and the subject. It would just be boom, boom. And that actually made me look at the first five verses incredibly more strictly. It made me look at it as God very specifically, purposefully did this. He did not passively say, let there be light, and it happened. It was very aggressive. You can see from the start that God was leading up to something that just hadn't happened yet. That, And further on in the days, you see, well, without day one, day two would have never happened. Without day two, day three would have never happened. You see it going very specifically. Boom, 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 boom. And reading the scientists and what would have, what they think occurred. It's also very impressive. With science, there are no absolutes. It's scary. There is nothing absolute in science because science is ever-changing. We have the theory of gravity. Generally, all of us are bound by those laws. But all I need is one witness to prove differently that God doesn't have to act within that boundary, which makes it not an absolute. An absolute. And I believe there is a guy in Cold Summit. I talked with his sister. He jumped out of an airplane parachute and parachute never opened, hit the ground. He lived. All I need is one witness to prove that God is not bound by science. And it's not an absolute. Now I do have to say, science is man's way of trying to figure out how God normally works. Science has its place and it is very helpful. And that is how God normally works. We ordinarily see God work in this way. But He's not bound by that. Reading the first six and seven days and even later... We can obviously see that this is not ordinary. That is, this is not how God ordinarily works. Yes, God has creation powers. Not in question. But there is nothing ordinary about creation. Turning something from nothing is not ordinary. God created the heavens and the earth. Miraculous. Creating plants, sea creatures, crawly things. Not ordinary. Man, not ordinary. And starting in John verse 1. Oh, come on. I'm going to end up reading a, a length of this, so just give me a second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received all grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There is nothing ordinary about creation. There is nothing ordinary about the Word of God becoming flesh. There is nothing ordinary about God punishing someone who doesn't deserve it and giving grace and mercy to those who don't. There is nothing ordinary about this and science has done a miraculous job trying to explain unordinary they are bound by what is seen what is heard they are bound by these worthless simplistic things we are free we are not bound to only believe in the natural and the temporal our hope is in truth not for that our, our hope lies in something that is certainly not temporal. Don't get me wrong, it'd be nice to have more stuff. But that's not what we desire. We do not desire ordinary. We, we always desire what's unordinary. When we, we don't want something bad to happen, but ordinarily bad should happen. We we want supernatural. We we want to we want to have everything we want, and we've been graced to have enough of what we want in the first place. There are you read the news and uh, you see man, woman, and child starving of food, and we throw food away. Uh, we, we have plenty. We certainly live in unordinary circumstances for the most part. Hard times hit. It does. We certainly don't deserve better. Nonetheless, within the first five verses, within the first day, it's setting up a pedestal. It's Boasting on God's divine nature, God's providence, God's creation powers, 
And yet the further you read through Genesis, you keep seeing something more beautiful than what God has been doing within the first six days and alluding to in the seventh. That even though you see trees outside, you see birds flying in the air, it really is beautiful to believers and nearly condemning to those who don't. But you keep seeing that further and further and further, there is something more beautiful coming. There is something more important than the natural, than this place. And you keep getting hints of it thrown in. I mean, when Adam and Eve were created, bells and whistles probably started going off. When when the fall happened and yet there was hope given at the very last moment when all was lost there was the one hope that will smash his head there's always been something more something unordinary that we've been hoping for and I really wanted to jump because it's hard to not read day one and not read day two right after it and so on and so forth. But I want to stick with only day one right now because the further you go on in the days, the deeper it gets. The the simplistically simplistics of the Hebrew language are very direct. It makes you only think of one thing and then the minute you think you got that happening, you read the next word and you go just a little deeper. But I wanted to specifically focus on Christ being there. In the beginning, through Him, everything was created. That within the first five verses, we see something beautiful starting, and yet something more beautiful to come. That within the light and the darkness, there's a separation an unfortunate distinction that the light is glory coming from God, that it's God shining, that the light that illuminates man is not something simplistic, it's not something dealing with the sun in day one. It's righteousness, it's power, it's glory. And I also wanted to throw in just a hint on evolution. I've already said it before, just going to reiterate it. Evolution is an idea that something came from nothing. Ultimately, that's what it all boils down to. Yes, we we evolved from this, we evolved from that. Things, Things evolved from something. But it's trying to say how something came from nothing which science itself dictates is impossible. It's hard to kick against the goads. You're trying to prove a point that you've already absolutely declared is impossible. I know it's short, I'm sorry.
Mungu